Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, Colin Mooring's podcast, bringing you the latest development with the False Claims Act. I'm Augustine Orozco, and I'm joined today by my partners, Jason Crawford and Kelly McLaughlin, to discuss oral argument in the two consolidated False Claims Act cases that are before the Supreme Court, U.S. X-Royal Shuti versus SuperValue and U.S. X-Royal Proctor versus Seth Inc. We're going to share some reactions with Jason. You want to kick us off by giving a little bit of background on the issue before the court? Sure. Thanks, Augustine. This is probably the most closely watched FCA case since 2016, when the Supreme Court heard the Escobar case, uh, which involved the statute's materiality element. In Escobar, the court confirmed that a defendant can be liable under the FCA if the defendant submitted a claim for payment, while at the same time violating some underlying legal requirement that was material to the government's payment decision. And cases based on this legal falsity theory of liability make up a significant part of the FCA's docket. As many of our listeners know, the FCA includes a knowledge element, and the statute defines knowingly to include actual knowledge, deliberate ignorance, and reckless disregard. But over the past decade or so, courts have had to grapple with the application of this knowledge definition in cases premised on a theory of legal falsity as opposed to factual falsity. For example, should courts examine a defendant's subjective understanding of whether it was complying with a legal requirement at the time of the challenged conduct, or is the appropriate standard a post hoc objective test? That question is now before the Supreme Court in Schutte and Proctor, which were both decided by the Seventh Circuit. And when grappling with the question of whether a defendant's contemporaneous subjective beliefs about the lawfulness of its conduct was relevant, the Seventh Circuit found that in some circumstances, the knowledge element can be determined without a separate inquiry into the defendant's subjective intent. And the Seventh Circuit applied an objective standard that was first articulated by the Supreme Court in Safeco Insurance Company versus Burr, which was a 2007 decision interpreting the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And in applying Safeco to the FCA context, the Seventh Circuit found in both cases that defendants could not have acted knowingly, even if the defendant's interpretation of the underlying legal requirement was wrong, so long as one, the defendant was acting under an objectively reasonable interpretation of an ambiguous requirement, and two, no authoritative guidance existed to warn the defendants away from that interpretation. And on the second point, the Seventh Circuit reasoned that only circuit court precedent or guidance from the relevant agency can qualify as authoritative guidance. In doing so, the Seventh Circuit joined a host of other courts of appeal that have previously applied Safeco to the Scienter inquiry in FCA cases involving ambiguous legal rules or regulations. But it's worth noting that unlike the other appellate decisions among the circuits, the recent Seventh Circuit decisions were not unanimous and involved sharp dissents, albeit by the same judge. Augustine, do you want to summarize the dissenting view? Yeah, happy to, Jason. So the Seventh Circuit judge, David Hamilton, sat on both panels and he dissented in both cases. He argued that the majority improperly disregarded the defendant's subject and as irrelevant to the question of whether their interpretation was objectively reasonable. In his view, if there is evidence of nefarious and deceptive intent, the FCA's scienter requirement is fulfilled regardless of any subsequently claimed reasonable interpretation of the law. And Judge Hamilton's dissenting view is generally consistent with the position that the petitioners have taken in their briefing and arguments before the Supreme Court. 
Now, on the other hand, the respondents contend that Safeco does not lower the bar for compliance. Rather, it recognizes that it is impossible to have knowledge of the correct interpretation of an ambiguous legal obligation before the government has authoritatively announced its interpretation or a court has made such a determination. In contrast, a defendant that engages in objectively unreasonable conduct, even in the face of an uncertain legal obligation, or acts contrary to an authoritative interpretation of an ambiguous regulation or rule, still, will still be the subject to liability under the False Claims Act. So even though these are non-intervened cases, the government has a clear interest in the outcome of this decision, and the Solicitor General had argued the Supreme Court should grant cert. Uh, Augustine, do you want to describe the DOJ's position before the court? Thanks, Jason. Uh, the Solicitor General says that the Seventh Circuit got it wrong. For starters, the SG argues that the court's interpretation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act's knowledge requirement cannot properly be transplanted to the FCA. The SG also sided with Judge Hamilton in taking the position that the Seventh Circuit's decision is contrary to the FCA's text, history, and common law background. It's the government's position that FCA's C-Enter standard is fulfilled where a defendant either, one, subjectively believes that a claim is false, two, recognizes a substantial risk that the claim is false but deliberately avoids taking readily available steps to obtain clarification, or three, knows or should know that the claim is probably false but acts with reckless disregard of that danger. So according to the government, each of those terms addresses the culpability of the person's state of mind at the time of the challenged conduct. And so if a defendant believes that it is violating a legal requirement when making claims for payment, even if the contours of that legal requirement have not yet been announced by the government, that defendant has acted with actual knowledge, even if its lawyers subsequently identify an objectively reasonable, but ultimately incorrect, exculpatory interpretation. Thanks, Augustine. As I mentioned, by applying Safeco to the FCA context, the Seventh Circuit has joined some of its sister circuits, including the DC Circuit, which applied Safeco in its 2015 decision in US XRL Purcell versus Moving Water Industries. Tully, you're intimately familiar with the MWI case, having tried that case and argued this exact issue on appeal. Do you want to elaborate on the application of Safeco in that case? Happy to, Jason. The Purcell case is a good example of the issues before the high court now, interpretations of ambiguous regulations or provisions, and how they can reach far beyond the healthcare context to government contractors, procurement fraud more broadly, and, and even beyond that. MWI was our client. They're a small manufacturing company that sells, among other things, irrigation equipment, mostly pumps. They actually helped the Army Corps move some 80% of the flood water out of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And they've provided irrigation systems to third world countries to assist with agricultural development. The case that we had involved loans from the United States Export-Import Bank, or EXIM, to finance the sale of water pumps to states in Nigeria. When applying for the loans, MWI was required to certify, among other things, that it had not paid any commission or fee in connection with the sales uh, other than quote unquote regular commissions. In an intervened KETAM action, DOJ alleged that the commissions paid by MWI to its sales agent were far too large to constitute regular commissions. 
but that term regular was not defined in any published guidance by Exum, nor had any court of appeals opined on its meaning. At summary judgment, the district court acknowledged that the term regular commissions could be interpreted in multiple ways. For instance, is regular based on what the company has paid the sales agent for similar sales in the past, or how the company pays all of its sales agents, regardless of the market at issue? Or does regular refer to a broader industry standard that might take into account what competitors were paying, which incidentally was likely proprietary to most companies and thus virtually undiscoverable. The district court acknowledged these multiple reasonable interpretations and that the government had never announced its own interpretation of the term regular commissions prior to litigation, but denied summary judgment to MWI and we went to trial. I'll spare you the details, but a verdict was rendered against MWI, although notably no damages were awarded. On appeal before the DC Circuit, we renewed our challenges, including whether there could even be a false claim in the first place, given the lack of definition of the term regular, and also asking that the court apply Safeco to challenge whether even if the claims were false, the certification could have been knowingly false. The DC Circuit panel ruled unanimously in our favor and overturned the verdict by applying Safeco and finding that the claims could not have been knowingly false, given that MWI's commissions were in fact regular under the company's reasonable interpretations of that term, even though Exum during litigation disagreed with those interpretations. Notably, then Judge, now Justice Kavanaugh was on that panel and his approach to our case then was quite similar to his line of questioning at the oral argument, as he focused on the possibility of there being multiple reasonable interpretations while acknowledging that some might be more favorable to the company's position and perspective than others. Thanks, Tully. The Schutte and Proctor cases both arise from the healthcare context, but the cases have attracted a lot of attention across all industries that receive federal dollars. That's exactly right. And this decision has the potential to have wide ranging ramifications for a number of False Claims Act cases, which probably explains why there were so many amicus briefs filed, including briefs from the Chamber of Commerce, the National Defense Industrial Association, which itself argued against the adoption of petitioner's subjective standard and many others. And of course, on the other side of the issue, a group of 33 states, and Senator Grassley filed amicus briefs in support of the petitioner's point, point of view, among others. As many of our listeners likely know, Senator Grassley was a principal author of the 1986 amendments that gave rise to the version of the False Claims Act as we know it today. And the current statutory definition of knowingly was added as part of those amendments. In his amicus, Grassley was highly critical of the majority panel's application of the Safeco standard um, in the cases at bar. In his amicus brief, Grassley was highly critical of the application of the Safeco standard by the majority in the Seventh Circuit cases, arguing that it places the burden on the government to try to anticipate every possible fraud and endlessly issue definitive guidance to prescribe that fraud. Yeah, thanks, Tully. I'd note that Senator Grassley's amicus brief was referenced during oral argument when counsel for the respondents made an argument about congressional intent. Uh, Justice Sotomayor observed that Senator Grassley is probably the person most knowledgeable about what Congress intended, 
and his brief made clear that he strongly disagreed with the Seventh Circuit's ruling. Uh, but shifting the topic to the oral arguments, I'm interested to hear what you thought of the argument. Well, uh, to start, of course, with the caveat that um, we won't know anything for sure until the opinion is issued. But it seemed apparent to me that the forthcoming decision is not likely to be quite as earth-shaking as some of us had thought it might be or could be. Rather, it seemed that there was some consensus forming around an opinion that would view the case more narrowly on the basis that a blanket rule that subjective intent is never relevant is not something the majority of the court would endorse. Something that I found quite interesting about the argument was that you could almost hear the consensus or at least a majority forming as the, the minutes passed. Justice Thomas was the first to question the relator's counsel at the outset of the argument asking him whether a defendant could even make a false statement if the rule was ambiguous and no guidance had been issued. Justice Kavanaugh chimed in next, positing a hypothetical about an ambiguous regulation that had three reasonable interpretations, with one being safer and the others more aggressive, even though still reasonable, making me think back to our MWI case. As Relators Council urged his view that only the best of those three interpretations should avoid liability, Justice Kagan jumped in and seemed to reframe the argument with a leading question about what a narrow case the one in front of the court appeared to be. And that did seem to redefine, at least for a number of the justices, just what it was they would likely be ruling on versus a potentially more wide-reaching decision to cover issues that both plaintiff side and defendant side thought would be of interest, but were not strictly necessary to a decision. The mere fact that SCOTUS is going to rule on the element of scienter in an FCA case is still without question of real significance, but if the decision is framed in the way posited by Justice Kagan, who was focused on whether it was proper to have a rule that subjective intent at the time the claims are submitted is irrelevant where there is ambiguity, this won't likely be the big win that either side might have thought was possible. On the one hand, the government and relators bar does doesn't seem poised to get a ruling that would wipe the application of Safeco off the table. And on the other hand, defendants may have to grapple with proving just what interpretation they were following at the time of submitting claims. And I guess I'd add one other point, Jason, which is that even if it's a narrow ruling, we could also have some concurrences or even dissenting opinions that might really be significant. As I mentioned, Justices Thomas and Kavanaugh had some questions, and so did Justice Alito. And all of them in particular seem to be more interested in the broader issues of scienter and even falsity that might be at play in these types of cases. And perhaps some other justices will decide to write beyond the scope of the holding if they have a different view. For now, uh, we need to wait uh, the court's ruling, um, but since we're already close to the end of the term, uh, it thankfully won't be too long of a wait uh, before we get the opinion. That's all for this episode, and we'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash letstalkfca. FCA.